powerful act. We are God's people. Say, I'm God's person. And so how does this identity shape our actions? If you're God's person, how does that change how you, we interact with those around you? How does that change how you interact with the culture that surrounds us and engulfs us? And yes, our culture is very Christian. I'm sorry, but it's still, I'm not sorry, but it is still very Christian. I'm glad it's Christian. I'm glad that it has Judeo-Christian roots. And it does have a lot of Judeo-Christian roots, a lot of morals, right? And we're kind of we're alarmed by some of those morals slipping away. A lot of those morals seem to be slipping away. But I want you to know that the Christians in First Peter, the, the culture around them had no Judeo-Christian roots. It was pagan, pagan, pagan. In fact, if you wanted to be part of the uh, city and part of the, the community, you had to participate in the worship of the gods. And most of the time, the worship of the gods included orgies. Public orgies. <laughs> yeah, see? That's very culturally untasteful for us. Why? Partly because we're Christians. Other part is even that would be untasteful in our culture, wouldn't it? Right? So there is sin in that culture that abounds far more than what it abounds in ours. And outward pressure to go back to who they were. Who are we? God's people. Who were we? Sinners. But we are God's people. And God's people shapes our actions. First Peter, well, I already did that slide, so. First Peter chapter 1, 1 through 5. Let's look at this together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent by Jesus, that's what that simply means. I mean, obviously, in the more complicated, he's a leader in the church, he's serving from Rome. To those who are elect, oh, elect, chosen, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God, who's doing this work? God. <laughs> Remember that, church. It's God's work in you. And are you leaning into God? In the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May what be multiplied to you, church? Grace and peace. Not rules and regulations, but grace and peace. This is how we live in our relationship with God is in grace and his peace that we, he brings as we let go and trust him. Now, there's a word that's going to come up a lot, and I think sometimes we misunderstand this word, and that is humility, humble. Now, humble is not de de degrading myself. It's not saying, oh, I'm just an awful person. I deserve nothing. That's not humility. That's false humility, and it's actually a form of pride, okay? Humble is having the proper assessment of myself. So each of us, if we're going to be humble, we're going to have a proper assessment of ourselves. And on a broad stroke, this is the proper assessment. I was a sinner, and I'm now saved. So therefore, I am a saint. That's the proper assessment of us. That's humble. Now, if we just focus here on here, that's not humble. Humble includes, is, is a proper assessment of who we are. Now, we must say, I am a sinner, but I am now a saint. I've been saved. I was a sinner. I'm now a saint. I've been saved, and I'm not God. 
See how that's the proper assessment? You know how many of us try to be God? All of us think that somehow we should have more hours in the day and that we should be God. So as this thing comes up, this word, because you're going to be called to be humble like Jesus is humble. And this is a free choice that each of you is given in their freedom. Okay? But this is just having a proper assessment of who I am and surrendering that to God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great Moses, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Hallelujah! Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah! Death has lost its grip on me. And to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Woohoo! I just broke the system. But that is good news. Whoa! <laughs> Come on, he can't take it. And you've been transformed, so you can't get rid of it. And why would you, right? Who by God's power, not mine, not my will, not my tenacity, not my bootstraps, but by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When we see him, we shall be like him. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? His divine power, his divine power, for Second Peter, we jumped. Uh, 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things. Only some? What's it say? All things that pertain to life and godliness. God has empowered you to be who you need to be. And we need to choose to live out of the identity in which he has given to us. Who are we? God's people. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Oh, mic drop. You get to join in the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A relationship that has, has been there for all eternity. He says, come. Join me. Be partakers of my divine nature. A relationship with the creator of the using universe. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. This divine relationship that we have doesn't take us out of the world, but it does have us escape the effects of that corruption. Because everything that happens to you, he uses for your good and for his glory. Everything that happens to you, he uses for his, your good and his glory. Everything. He's not like, oops, I got by, sorry, man, just, you know, bear, bear it. Now I'll, I'll, I'm going to mess it up. No, he's the gatekeeper. Ouch, in some ways, right? But also good in some ways. Because we live in a broken world. They lived in a very, very broken world, more broken in some ways than our world, okay? They were ostracized from their communities, they, they had to come together and band together just to survive. 
They, they, didn't, they couldn't really have a whole lot of individuality, and, 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 and they weren't definitely preppers. They were a minority. But God saved them and made them divine, partakers of the divine nature, and it has all you need for life and godliness. You believe that? As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So proper humility would say, I am chosen and precious. That's proper humility. Say, I am chosen. Say, I am precious in the sight of God. That is God's reality for you and me. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Would it be his ministers to the world that's broken around us? We're called to be his priests, a holy set apart for him to proclaim the excellencies of his good news. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I, lay in Zion, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Believe in the cornerstone, believe in Jesus, and there will be no shame. And every suffering thing that you have in your life will be redeemed for good. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. Christians suffer for eternal glory, for, com for con conforming to the image of Jesus. So the honor is for you who believe. But those who do not believe, the stone the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, you church, you Brothers and sisters are a chosen race. A chosen people would be a better word there. So how many races? One race, human race, okay? All created in the image of God, many colors, but one race. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's the purpose of being a child of God? God's people, what do they do? Proclaim the excellencies of God. You're his own possession. I'm God's person. Once you were not a people, once you were just out there sinning and in darkness, knowing no direction. But now, <laughs> oh, now you are God's people. That is who we are, God's people. And how should our identity as God's people shape our actions? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So who are we? We are God's people.
So how does this identity as God's people shape our actions? This is where the sermon begins to get challenging. Because this is going to press on some of our cultural ideals and our cultural values that we've assimilated that aren't scriptural. Let's begin to look at this. First Peter 1, verse 6 this, in this, this, in this is that idea that we've been called, that we are God's people, our identity in Christ, the salvation that God has brought us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while it is necessary that you have been grieved by various trials. It is necessary that you have been grieved by various. I love that it says various there because that means it's any kind of trial, whether it's a sickness, a cold, or it's... A relational thing or it's a job thing you see what I mean it, it, it's a broad spectrum God uses all of the trials in our life for our good so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire your faith being tested is precious may be found the result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice greatly that it is inexpressible and filled with glory. None of us have seen Jesus. Peter had. Peter spent a lot of time with Jesus, right? But none of these people that he's writing to had seen Jesus. But how many of you here love Jesus? Yeah, we all, we love Jesus. And we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your soul, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen? So as God's people, we rejoice in God. We rejoice in God and in what he's doing in our lives, which means we rejoice in the trial. <clears throat> what, Pastor? No, I want to, well, I almost said a bad word. I want to complain. I just want it to be right, and I want to blame you, right? Isn't that what we do a lot of the time? Blame you because this is happening to me. But we rejoice in God because we are partakers of the divine nature who has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. All right, second thing i got to move because I'm running out of time. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to rejoice in your trial, you got to get ready. you got to, I don't have him up here, but you got to put on the armor of God. you got to be ready. Your mind has to be sober, meaning you got to know the truth. And you got to believe the truth. And you got to stand in the truth. You can't be drunk. Your mind can't be weak. Well, you're being tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine and every lie that comes your way. You got to sober up and set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you. God's people are mindful in setting their hope on the grace in Jesus' return. 
God's people fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you and me. These are truths. And the enemy and your flesh want to drag you into the mud. And they want to sideline you. But we must be action-oriented, sober-minded, ready to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and say, this is who I am. I am God's person. And I will not submit to the enemy. First Peter 1, 22-23 says, Having purified your souls through the obedience of the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another honestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not to the perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living, abiding word. We're to love each other because of what God has done. Because he's made us new creation. God's people love each other. From a pure love. We love each other. And I know some of you guys said, well, I love you, but I don't like you. I'm sorry, but that doesn't count. Now, you could say, I love you, but my emotions are not cooperating. Okay? But we still must like each other. I'm sorry. But it's the truth. And so, if you want to love one another, we must interact with one another. We can't avoid each other. And so to love well means we have to forgive. To love well means we have to listen. What was the, the, the motto from James? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, right? Right? When we are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, did you know we're loving each other? That's love. In action. God's people love each other. First Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain from sin. Don't go out to the temple and go drinking and have sex with the temple prostitutes. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Don't lie to your brother or to your sister. Don't Cheat your brother or sister. Abstain from these passions of the flesh. Abstain. Because you are not part of this. You're sojourners. You're exiles. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Right? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Now, I don't like the, the, some of the theology of, that, uh, of heaven there, but the, the point is clear. This isn't our place. We have a new heaven and a new earth that we are looking forward to where righteousness dwells. So I urge you as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. They want to sideline you. They want to destroy you. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. So in our interactions in the day-to-day, our conduct should be honorable so that when they speak evil against you it's expected that they are going to 
revile you. They're going to malign you. They're going to threaten you. So when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Interesting, huh? First Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free. Christ has set us free from sin and death. Amen? And we have freedom to do whatever we want to do. But in our freedom, we must choose not to cover up evil, but to do good. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as God's people, servants of God. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Everybody's been created in the image of God. Whether they be gay, lesbian, queer, Chinese, Japanese, Native American, honor everyone. Russian. I mean, some of us might not be very happy about Russians right now, right? Kicking the snot out of Ukraine over there. Honor everyone as created in the image of God. Love the brotherhood. Feel God. Honor Biden. Honor the emperor. Honor those who have been placed in authority over you. You see, God's people act honorably in their freedom. God's people act honorably in their relationships in a community. God's people act honorably when they're sitting in front of a text. God's people act honorably when they're posting on social media. God's people act honorably. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? I mean, kind of deserved it, didn't you? But if, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. What have we been called? <sighs> to suffer. I told you, it's not popular. That we might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was the deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He did not react in violence. He did not throw him off. He did not call down a thousand angels to just wipe him out and be done with it. Could he have he? No, he humbled himself. Freely chose to humble himself. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is how we humble ourselves in this world. We are God's people, and God guts us. We entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have the unity of mind. That unity of mind is on Jesus. It's on the gospel. That's what we unify around. That's what we come around. There's a lot of diversity, but we're all about 
the gospel. Sympathy. <laughs> Sympathy is that act of, of understanding where that other person is coming from. Brotherly love. Tender heart. And a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. Reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you will call that you may obtain a blessing. So God's people follow Jesus' example in relationships and they bless when attacked. Entrusting themselves to God, right? That's how we bless when we're attacked is because we're God's people. And this is hard. As I think of our current cultural context and, and how even it seems like every month there is an active shooter in some church coming in and shooting somebody. And I realize I'll probably be one of the first ones to take the bullet because I'm standing up here. How do I respond to that? How does Peter instruct me to respond to that? Challenging, isn't it? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share, you share in Christ's sufferings. He hung on this cross, on not this one, but on the cross for everyone's sin. For the very suffering that you're suffering, he died for it so that he could redeem it so that he could use it as a scalpel, a tool in shaping you. And we rejoice in that sharing of that suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed because we share in that glory. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. How many people saw the bushes outside when you came in? Everybody? You know what bushes I'm talking about? They look like Edward Scissor's hands got carried away. No, they, yeah, they are, some people would say hacked. I've had people say, where's the chain? Let's rip them out. Those bushes had grown. I, I don't know, Wilma maybe could tell me when they were planted, but they were planted a, a long time ago. And they were getting big. They're growing over the sidewalk, and we're going to 
have the sidewalk redone, so they're getting in the way of that. And so uh, these types of bushes are used, and used grow, grow on old growth. And I thought, well, we'll give these bushes a chance to be renewed and revitalized and reshaped into the image that we want them to be in. Did you know that God has grabbed each one of your lives and it's like those bushes out there. Sometimes it doesn't look pretty and sometimes it's actually downright ugly. But God is shaping you. He's pruning away what doesn't need to be, what doesn't honor him. And he's shaping you into the image of his son. And it's his work. And so he will have that new growth come out. But just like we got to be patient with these bushes, I got to wait, you know, at least till next spring and see totally what they do. We have to be patient with God and patient with each other. And I hope now that those bushes will be a reminder when you're struggling with saying, I know I like that guy, but she's... I mean, I know I love that guy, but she's, I sure don't like what he's doing right now. God's people expect to suffer. This really pushes back on the American ideal and the American thing, right? We should expect to suffer, and we entrust ourselves to God in living for his will. I'm almost out of time. Second Peter 1.16 says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths. P- P- Peter is talking about the apostles when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the uh, majestic glory, the transfiguration is what he's talking about. God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves hold this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully conformed to which you will do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the light until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made, produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, God's people are gospel-centered. They're Jesus-centered. God's people are Jesus-centered. We're all about Jesus. We don't get carried away by myths or, or, or hobby uh, doctrines. We focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one we worship. He's the one we exalt. He's the one that was walking through life with us. But there will be those who do not focus on Jesus. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying Jesus, the Master, who brought them, who 
who bought, bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. I know this is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, but in both of them, I am storing you up to a sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. And it should have both three there, that false prophets and false teachers would arise. God's people know false prophets and teachers will arise. We do know that. And they scoff Jesus and the gospel. And we don't listen to them. And we don't promote them. Because we are Jesus-centered. We are Jesus-centered. Almost done here. On the second coming of the Lord, these false prophets were saying Jesus was not coming back. <laughs> Which is crazy. He is coming back. But Peter begins to explain why he hadn't came back. I mean, they expected him to come back at any moment. And I, I live my life that I think he could come at any moment as well. And I'm looking for the day. Come, Jesus, come. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, the one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. God doesn't walk on our timetable, is what that's saying. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as come some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Amen? He's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach a repentance. You see, God is withholding his return because he wants to give everybody an opportunity to get saved. That's why he tarries. That's why he doesn't bring judgment down right now upon all the world. He wants people to have the opportunity to repent. So God's people have a heart for the lost. God's people share in God's heart and want to see their neighbors saved. God's people have a heart for the lost. They want to see their family members saved, their uncles, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their dads. God's people have a heart. They want to see their co-workers saved. God's people declare the excellencies of the gospel of Jesus. God's people don't try to clean fish before they're caught. God lets God, God's people let God take care of that. God's people have a lot, heart for the lost. Verse 10 of 2 Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, it's not coming like a thief for us because we know he's coming and we're looking for him. But for everybody else, it'll be like a thief. And when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be borne up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. This is all language of judgment upon the earth and the exposing of one's deeds. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We should be God's people. And have an urgency for the lost. Looking forward to the day when all things are made right. 
waiting and for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of the which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they born. But according to God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth, which righteousness dwells. That eternal state where God's dwelling with his man, and every man shall know him. And not, I, nobody will have to teach his brother or sister about God, for they all shall know him. God's people are waiting for Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Let's close with us. First Peter 5, 6 through 11. God's people humble themselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. He cares. He cares for each anxiety that you have, And he calls you to give them to him with a humble heart. Saying, I know I have no control of this. This is why I have anxiety. (laughs) But I entrust myself. I entrust my family, my daughter, my child, my, my call, whatever it is. I entrust it to you knowing that you care for me. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, sinking to whom someone to devour. Resist him. Form in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, conform, strengthen, and establish you in him. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So who are we? We're, we're God's people. And, God's, and how does this identity shape our action? Well, God's people. God's people humble themselves and entrust themselves to God with sober minds to see the enemy's schemes, actively imaging Jesus as I look forward to his return. And imaging Jesus is a place of humility. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we are your people. We thank you that you have called us to your purpose and for your plan and for your glory. We do make our minds ready to be humble before you and to bless rather than course. We ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment in applying this to our lives within the culture that we live in. 
We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your work in us and we rest in that. In Jesus' name, amen.